There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to the Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Laura Hartley is an activist and founder of Public Love Enterprises, a liberatory space and online school. Her intention is to empower changemakers, activists and entrepreneurs to radically reimagine the world, creating the conditions for social healing, collective thriving and liberation. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In this highly connected conversation, we talk about activism and how we can bring about change in the right way. And it's no surprise that the change starts with us. Welcome, Laura, to The Ethical Evolution. Ah, Thank you, Bendy. I'm so excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you here too because you're here in Australia. Woo! You're in Sydney uh, and I'm in Brisbane, so uh, we speak the same language. <laughs> We're in similar time zones, which is kind of cool. We haven't had to do much calculation, so that's lovely. And, uh, yeah, it feels like we're home. Um, I, I love that. It's really cool. So thank you for joining us. Now, for people who hadn't, haven't heard of you, Laura, tell us who you are and what you do. Mm. So, uh, yeah, my name's Laura Hartley. I run an online school for changemakers called Public Love Education. So my work is really born out of three passions that coalesce around one question, which is how do we make a more beautiful life and world? Mm. So I'm an activist, um, primarily in environmental and climate spheres. So I'm really interested in what a just and regenerative future could look like. And I'm also passionate about our inner worlds. So I grew up surrounded by personal development and coaching and spirituality. My mother ran one of the first life coach training schools in this country. So it was very much part of our everyday life. And so this question of, you know, what does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. What are the conditions within us that need to change is a question that I've kind of sat with for a long time. And then, of course, I'm also passionate about business and entrepreneurship because I think it's an incredibly powerful way to make change. And that's really at any level, whether that is a large company or whether it's solopreneurs, business is a form of power. So these three passions of outer change, of inner change and business kind of came together for me to create the school and the work that I do now. Mm, That's a really interesting way of looking at it. And you would know that I've spoken to so many people who uh, mix business and spiritual and change and ethics all into one little ball, one little ball, she says. Um, But one of the words you mentioned there was activism. Now, uh, when people hear that nowadays, they're seeing people chained to bridges and streets and all kinds of stuff trying to, you know, stop people from progressing through their day because they want to get people's attention about things like climate change, all kinds of stuff. What does activism mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. 
I mean, look, that definition that you gave is definitely one form of activism. And to me, it's a very important form of activism that exists. It's definitely something that I support fully where necessary. However, I also subscribe to Joanna Macy's definition of an activist, which is anybody who is active for a purpose bigger than personal gain. Mm. So when we're kind of looking at it from that perspective, I think it gives us a much wider sphere to work within. Because, you know, nonviolent direct action, that example that you gave where, you know, we block roads or go to protests, whatever we need to do is important. Disruption in some cases is necessary, but so is building. So it's transforming the systems that we're in. You know, we need people who are bringing new ideas and new ways of thinking and new ways of being to accounting, to medicine, to farming, to the law. So there are all of these different ways that we can be creating change. And whatever way we're called to, I think, is the way for us and really what activism is about. Mm, I agree. And, you know, uh, you know, we were just chatting offline and uh, I think in the work that you and I do, there's there's a lot of similarities and, you know, we kind of do that activism in our own way in, you know, uh, helping people make different decisions, um, which is basically what those people who are chained to bridges are trying to do is to make people make different decisions and think about things differently. So, you know, from an ethical change point of view, I'm trying to get people to just stop and think about the decisions they make based on values um, and understanding that we are the change. It begins with us. So uh, does the same ring true for you? Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I talk about is that, you know, we are the system. Mm. So that when we're looking at wider models of system change, which, you know, a lot of activists are, they're looking at, you know, changing capitalism or, or changing a judicial system or a policy or whatever it might be. We need to look at the ways that we have perpetuated the system, the ways that we uphold them within us. So that's where our values kind of comes into play. Mm. You know, everything that we're doing is based on our values. It's based on our decisions. So that bringing it back to what is important to me right now, you know, where do my values lie? What is the change that I want to create? And then how can I embody that is so important and so necessary. Mm. So with the the school that you have, um, and I've got to say the, the name that you've given it, 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 it just gives all kinds of connotations, can I just say. Um, but um, in a nutshell, how does it help people transform the way they approach life and business? So the work that I do is about really uh, detoxing from culture. Mm. You know, so many of us have been conditioned by the culture around us uh, completely unconsciously. You know, one example that I give is something I refer to as internalized capitalism, Mm. right? So we live in a capitalist society and capitalism is both an economic construct and an ideology. Yeah, and the ideology of capitalism really says that, you know, success is growth. Success means more. You know, scarcity is something that's embedded into capitalism as well. And so we see that ideology kind of coming through that there's not enough time and you've got to hustle and you've got to work harder or there's not going to be enough and you're not enough. And so internalized capitalism, you know, is the equation of our worth with our productivity and with what we produce. And, you know, it shows up when we feel guilty for not working hard enough or taking time off. That sense of feeling like we always need to be doing something more, like that that endless kind of quest to be doing and giving and extracting from ourselves. 
that sense that there's just not enough hours in the day, which you hear in our language mm -hmm. all the time. You know, there's a lot in this meeting. We're just going to like power through. We're going to squeeze it all in. And so this is all, these are all examples of the ways that we have internalized the culture around us, internalized capitalism. Now, we've done that on a lot of different levels with a lot of different systems. And when we're able to do the work of deconditioning and detoxing ourselves from culture, we're able to come to a much more authentic place. And it's from that place that I think we can actually start to do the work of really choosing the values of who we want to be and what we want to do in the world. It's where we can start to do the place of actually getting free, of getting free of these systems and creating something new. But this kind of um, space to come back to ourselves and to come back to what is real and to explore what is ours and what am I called to and what is my mission in life and then what is actually just expected of me and what am I doing because I'm supposed to is really the work that we do in a lot of the programs of my school. Hmm, very cool. And two things that just popped up for me there um, was around the hustle culture and being authentic. Um, I myself got myself trapped in a hustle culture kind of thing last year and I was like, oh, my God, this hurts so much. I cannot do this. Like, um, you know, it was just this push, this really aggressive push um, for sales and just being inauthentic and it rubbed me the wrong way so hard. Like it made me physically sick. I just, I could not do it. Um, if I can't, you know, work with someone in an authentic way, in a way that they believe in me and my services and how I can help them, um, I just can't do it. Like I just, it like to the point where I changed my whole business model to take things away that I didn't enjoy doing because it was killing me. Um, I'm like, this is not why I went into business. Yes, I can help people, but if I kill myself at the same time, what good is that going to do me? Like, I'm here, like, and this is something that's really resonated for me this week. It's coming up a lot is um, people asking, why am I in business? Why, why am I doing what I do? Like, instead of just pushing with this hustle culture, actually stopping and going, well, hang on a minute, why am I here and am I happy? Is it lighting me up? Is this my passion? Is this what I really want? Mm. Like, you know, I think this is really common. Like mm. the thing is so many of us go into business, right? Because actually we want more freedom in our lives. Mm. We want more purpose in our lives. You know, we're kind of wanting to break free of the system. But because we haven't done that work on the inside of looking at the ways that we've internalized the system, the way it shows up in us and through us and as us, then we end up recreating it. And we end up in businesses chained to our desk, 50, 60 hours a week, you know, thinking we've just got to work a bit harder, we've just got to do a bit more and then we'll get there or something. And of course, we never seem to reach it until we're burnt out mm. and we have nothing left. So actually realizing this is so important, I think, that it's not just about getting free on the outside, but it's really about getting free on the inside. Mm. And I think also if you can find that passion and harness that, like people see that, they see that light and they're like, I want some of that. You know, when it's hustle, there's this whole other energy that sits underneath it that you're just like, oh, don't know if I like that. 
Like you, for me anyway, I'm like, um, I, I see it and I'm like, ooh, no thanks. Um, but I think if you see someone who's truly in their power, in their passion, and that is what their ethos is, they're the people you want to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, and the thing is, we we are always having reactions to each other. Mm. You know, there's this this kind of myth that you know we completely self regulate and that you know we're just completely in control of our own emotions and our own nervous system and everything else. And to a very large extent, that is true. But you know, we're also beings that at a very young age learn to co-regulate. We learn to kind of mimic and pick up what other people are giving off to us. And when we grow up, we're still often doing that in some way. We're still picking up vibes of other people. You know, if somebody else is upset or angry, we feel that sometimes even when they don't say anything. So, of course, when somebody is also, you know, free and empowered and really feeling what lights them up, mm. we feel that too. Mm. So it's very. it makes sense that we have this alignment towards that. Mm. And I guess this is where we meet the cross-section of spirituality and where we're meeting that greater purpose of why we're here and, and what we do and how we connect with each other. How does that work with what you do? <clears throat> so my work is really about the inner work for outer change. Mm. And, you know, spirituality is all about the inner work. Mm. So regardless of what your overall beliefs are, you know, there is always work that we can be doing to go further within ourselves and to connect with something larger than ourselves. So when we're talking about authenticity and we're talking about what is real, I think we're also talking about this place that we call the heart. Mm. You, know, and it, you know, it's kind of been branded as a little bit woo or a little bit fringe, I think, that term. Like, mm. oh, yes, the heart, the heart space. Heart-centered, yes. <laughs> but really, like, we're talking about actually a very physical place in the body that, mm. you know, we actually often, we feel things in this region. We're talking about things that feel deeply like ours. And at this time, you know, we are facing immense crises as a world. We're facing the climate crisis. We're facing war. We're facing increasing or increasing awareness of racial injustice. Mm. You know, there are so many crises that we have, and we have quite a small amount of time in which we actually need to take action to solve them. Now, to me, that action is not going to come, or at least not in the way that it needs to, unless we're able to have some reckoning within ourselves, unless we're able to connect to a deeper part and to do the inner work that is required. Because the solutions for climate change, which as a climate activist I'm very passionate about, won't come just from more technology. They need to come from a change in our relationship to the earth, a change mm. in our relationship to each other, a change in our values so that we're moving away from this endless idea of consumption, this endless idea of growth. And we're not going to have that change in values or that change in relationship unless we're looking at this inner work or this uh, spiritual sense, as you might say. Mm. So, you know, when you're trying to get people to let go of all the conditioning that they've had, what's what's some of the first steps you take? Mm. I think the first step is awareness. Mm. You know, it's actually, it's it's becoming aware and noticing it. So time scarcity is, is one of my things that I am particularly prone to, that feeling that there's never enough time. Mm. You know, my partner hears it every day. I go out and I was like, I just don't feel like I've done enough today. You know, and she's like, you know, you set 
you said that the other day and I was like, oh, you're right. I did. So that awareness of it is kind of the first step. And then this is actually where I, I differ a little bit to the personal development world that I grew up in. And while we have the responsibility and the agency to change that, I actually also think there's immense power in recognizing that that belief and that story doesn't have to belong to us. It actually belongs to culture. Mm. It isn't ours. And that when it doesn't belong to us, we can hand it back. So that's where it comes down to at the beginning is starting to notice the story, being willing and having the agency and the power to hand it back and then starting to work with something new in our own body. So starting to notice what is actually true in my physical body, what feels good to me, what feels open, what feels expansive, what feels empowered and what am I doing just because it feels heavy, you know, and it feels burdensome but I think that I should. Mm. So this kind of starting to challenge it and starting to work with these beliefs and these mindsets is where we begin. So what gets me curious then is, does intuition play a big part in that as well? Like that gut, that gut intuition that you rely on? Absolutely. Mm. But I think Learning, you know, when I talk about gut intuition, what I'm often referring to, I think, is is callings, you mm. know, these little things that are ours, mm. that we're meant to do, that speak to us, that light us up, that, you know, goes, yes, that, that thing, just that little voice that I keep ignoring, that little idea, that thought, that passion that I keep coming back to, but I never do anything about, that is where our work lies. Mm. That is the most important thing we can follow. But sometimes it's very hard to follow that until we have really started to notice the stories that we hold till we're noticing all those things we're doing, not because we feel called to do them, not because we want to do them, but because we think we're supposed to do them, you know, to be a good change maker, to be a good wife, to be a good partner, to be a good mother. You know, I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z. When we can start to notice those stories and get free of them, that's when we can start to listen to our intuition and listen to our callings. Mm. You know, um, many people would know that uh, aside from, you know, trying to change the world here uh, at Ethical Change Agency, um, I also uh, work full-time uh, for the government and, um, you know, uh, a lot of people rely on what they call my crystal ball uh, because, um, you know, it's this – it's the intuition and it takes it, it takes practice. It's a muscle that you need to exercise um, and it takes a good level of trust to know – that your gut is right every time. And I swear to God, it has never, ever let me down in, in business and personal decisions because when you just sit and you tap into that and you listen and you feel, and you know, I've actually got a T-shirt, you can get them on XC, by the way, um, <laughs> listen, feel, know, you can make those decisions based on your gut. Simple mm-hmm. as that. And, you know, every week it's like... You know, the, people will come to me and they're like, what do you think, B? And I'll be like, I'll give them the answer. And sure enough, that is what will happen. It's almost like I'm a psychic, like I can see it and then it will happen. Or they'll go to make a decision. I'll, I'll be like, well, I can see this is going to happen. Sure enough, next day we're having that conversation that we were talking about yesterday. So it's yeah. like, it's freaky stuff, but if you can tap into that and you can find that in yourself, that's the most powerful thing you can do. Well, one of, you know, part of what I love about this expression as well, like when we talk about the gut, mm. you know, we're talking actually about a physical kind of location in mm. our body. 
you know, and it took me a very long time, well into my adult years, um, to realize actually we have our emotions, mm. our, our, our physical sensations in our body. Yeah. And you know, to an extent, our intuition is really no different. I think we talk about it there for a reason. We talk about following our heart. We talk about the weight of the world on our shoulders. You know, when we're, we talk about, you know, like being a little bit like stiff, somebody is. So we're using these expressions for a reason because mm. our intuition is a real feeling. It's a real thing. And it is located in our body. Mm. So when we can start to notice that, I think that's part of the trick as well as, you know, starting to listen through those sensations. Yeah. And they probably call it a crystal ball because I'm starting to look a bit like a Buddha lately. I don't know. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll leave that one for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Laura, if people want to find out more about the school and what you do, where can they go? Absolutely. So we run programs in cultural wayfinding and in healing burnout culture. And we also talk about anti-capitalist business if anybody is interested. So they can go to publiclove.enterprises to find out more. I'm also on Instagram at laura.h.hartley. Lovely. All right. I've got the last big question for you. Are you ready? Hit me. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? You knew that was coming. I did. I know. <laughs> but it, this is like such a big question. So I, I'm going to take, take a moment with this mm. one. On a practical level, it, it, like if I could see the end of anything, I would see the end of capitalism and the birth of a just and regenerative economic system, one that is not based on endless growth and one that is based on care and mutual respect for each other and for the earth. And if I could do one thing to help create that, I want to help create a more loving world. Mm. So what is the relationship between us to create more love, more justice, more compassion? That is what I want to see in the world. Mm. I'm going to back that up with a follow-up question that I don't usually ask people, Laura, and that is if you're the change in the world, where does it start with you? Ooh. Where does it start with me? Mm. So if if we're to talk about collective change and you're the change you want to see, what's the small change you make today that impacts others? It starts in our relationship to ourselves. Mm. I was talking to somebody, a client this morning about belonging and this conversation that belonging starts with belonging to ourselves. Mm. So until we can stop rejecting ourselves, until we can stop shaming ourselves, until we can stop creating this scarcity of love and attention and care for ourselves, it is very difficult to create it out there in the world. So it starts with us and our relationship to ourselves. Amen. And, you know, that's something that I learned when I was going through that hustle culture thing um, is that I had this fear of scarcity. Um, I had this conditioning that was in me from childhood that I'd been taught that I didn't have enough and I never would. And at that moment I just went, you know, crikey, this is where my problem has been because I've been putting that limit to myself and there's so many people who have it that don't even realise it because, you know, we've been through childhoods and upbringings where our parents didn't do so great, you know, we did, they did the best they could and, and then that perpetuates when we become adults. We're like, geez, I could never make enough money, I could never do enough things, I don't have enough time. Like you were saying, this, this scarcity mentality 
it can really like limit us in the success that we have in business and in life. Yeah, but that that story is so real and so prevalent, I think, because in part, it is actually backed up kind of by reality in our world. Like the reality is, if you don't have enough resources, you can be homeless, you Mm. can be without food, you can be without shelter. So there is real genuine scarcity that we have in our world through our systems Mm. that don't support us. And so of course, then that fear of scarcity becomes so conscious and so prevalent. And then it seeps into all of these different areas. Mm. So, so reclaiming, you know, and something I say, an abundance mindset is not about pretending inequity doesn't exist. Yeah, It's not about ignoring that and saying it's not real because it is, but it is about freeing ourselves from scarcity and the, the, the scarcity embedded in systems that do not support us. It's about rebelling from toxic cultures. It's about choosing to find a way within ourselves, within our mindset, within our beliefs, within our values to cultivate abundance, even if it doesn't yet exist in the systems around us. Mm. And you know what you made me just think of then? Like what is the one book that you'd recommend to someone right now based on what we've just talked about, like if they wanted to break through that mindset? Ooh, you know, this is a strange one to be coming to me. Um, I'm going to say Healing Resistance by, Kag- by Kazuhaja, and I'm not really sure why I'm suggesting that one, but it's the first to come to mind, so I'm going to trust that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. Nice. Okay. The one that was coming to me was The Richest Man in Babylon. I haven't read that. Oh, give it a go. That really helps with the abundance mindset. Like even when you think you don't have enough, you have more than enough. You have more than enough. And and the more that you give, the more that you receive. So I will check that one out. I can't remember the author, but it's Richest Man in Babylon. It's one that uh, Tony Robbins hoxies wears on, just saying. Um, that shows my age. Anyway, moving forward, thank you so much, Laura, for being a part of The Ethical Evolution. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.